0: Thank you all for coming out tonight. We are starting a new topic, and so I'm very excited about that and hope you are interested in our topic for study this quarter, which is going to be angels. Uh, There's, of course, a lot that we just will never know this side of heaven about angels, but the Bible speaks a great deal about them as well. I saw one count that said, that angels are mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament and 186 times in the New Testament. That surprised me at how many references to angels there are. So there's plenty for us to talk about. I think we can find a quarter's worth of, of lessons out of that, those references alone. And there, there are a lot of thoughts, and uh, I want to hear your thoughts. will study this together and hopefully grow a little bit and learn a little bit. One of the things that I want to do in this study, and I think it will be very helpful in this regard, is to make the spiritual realm more real to ourselves. We are headed for a spiritual realm out of this physical realm. And the spirit world, although we can't see it, or sense it right now, is more real, really, than the physical world that we're so accustomed to. And one of the things the study of the angels can do is make that spiritual realm more real to us and have us consider where we plan to spend eternity. And there are a lot of other applications as well. We, there are a couple of ex- extremes that we want to avoid in the study. And one extreme, on the one end, are the Sadducees. We don't want to be Sadducees about the study of angels. Now to understand their philosophy on angels, let's go to Acts chapter 23, where Paul makes a statement and Luke explains what's going on. Acts chapter 23, Paul is on trial, he's before the council, and uh, he's getting into trouble here. And so he sees in the audience in front of him a number of Sadducees and Pharisees. Now, when it comes to Christ, they're pretty unified. They're they're against Christ. But on many other matters, they are very divided. And knowing this, Paul says, this is verse 6 of Acts 23... Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And then Luke says when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. Now look at this explanation in verse 8. For the Sadducees say, There is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. So what three things do the Sadducees deny according to that passage? They say there, there's no resurrection, no angels, no spirit. That's right. So they're basically denying any world beyond this world, any beings that inhabit any dimensions beyond this one. Except, I guess, they would concede that God exists. But beyond that, they, they had no hope in uh, an afterlife. They just uh, applied the principles of the Old Testament to this world and their lives, and, and that's it. So we don't want to be like the Sadducees that were very materialistic, and denied angels and demons and spirits and many other things. You remember the test they gave Jesus about the resurrection and marriage. And angels came up in that question. They said, you know, they they built up this hypothetical situation in Matthew chapter 22. A woman had seven husbands. Uh, They all died, then she died. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus said... She won't be anybody's wife because she'll be like the angels. And the angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. So we don't want to be in that extreme. But there's another extreme the Bible warns us about. And this is in Colossians 2. Turn your Bibles over to Colossians chapter 2 and look at uh, verses 17 and 18. Or just look at verse 18 Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, that's harm to the body, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. There are a lot of things that we'd like to believe about angels that we're just not supposed to believe. And in the days of Paul, there were some people who like to entertain a lot of fantasies about angels. They like to believe certain things about them that weren't supported by reason or by scripture. So we can go too far to one extreme or the other. The one extreme being the Sadducees who didn't believe in them at all and the other being these people puffed up in their sensuous mind without any reason who were ready to believe just about anything about angels even if it was illogical or unscriptural. We want to find what the Bible says about it and, and believe that. And so tonight what we're going to do is uh, talk about some questions about angels. And to get us started on that, uh, I want to read this uh, poem by Billy Collins. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's called Questions About Angels. And he talks about what he sees as the only question people ever really ask about angels And he introduces a number of other questions and we're probably not going to answer his questions but this is a good way to introduce the thought tonight so this is uh, billy collins poem questions about angels of all the questions you might want to ask about angels the only one you ever hear is how many can dance on the head of a pin no curiosity about how they pass the eternal time besides circling the throne chanting in latin Or delivering a crust of bread to a hermit on earth? Or guiding a boy and girl across a rickety wooden bridge? Do they fly through God's body and come out singing? Do they swing like children from the hinges of the spirit world, saying their names backwards and forwards? Do they sit alone in little gardens changing colors? What about their sleeping habits, the fabric of their robes, their diet of unfiltered divine light? What goes on inside their luminous heads? Is there a wall these tall presences can look over and see hell? If an angel... I don't want to read that part. If an angel delivered the mail, would he arrive in a blinding rush of wings? Or would he just assume the appearance of the regular mailman and whistle up the driveway reading the postcards? No, the medieval theologians control the court. The only question you ever hear about is about the little dance floor on the head of a pin, where halos are meant to converge and drift invisibly. So he is a little frustrated that people don't ask more than one question about angels. So he introduces a lot of others. And uh, his are way beyond my ability to speculate or answer according to the Scriptures. We're going to look at some that are a little more down to earth and uh, look to the Bible for answers and that'll be, I think, a good introduction to this study. So let's get into it, and uh, we'll start with this first question. And the first question I want to ask is Where do angels come from? Where do angels come from? Are they eternal like God? Have they just always been there? Uh, were they created the way we were? When were they created? Does the Bible answer any of these questions? And for an answer, let's go to Psalm 148 and read a few verses from Psalm 148. The psalm begins this way Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. So the author is calling on the angels of heaven to worship God. And he's still talking about these heavenly hosts, these angels, when he gets to verse 5. And listen to what he says there. Let them, the heavenly hosts, the angels, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So that gives us. A little bit of an answer. It tells us that the heavenly hosts were created. This isn't the only place in the Bible. There are not many places that incidentally mention the creation of angels, but there are a few. Another one is mentioned in passing by Nehemiah in a prayer that's given in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6. And also in Colossians 1:16, we have a hint if you want to turn over there and read there. Where Paul is talking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says there. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. And then he says, visible and invisible. And then he gives four terms whether thrones, or dominions, or rulers. Or authorities and a lot of scholars believe those four terms have to do not with earthly rulers and dominions but with heavenly orders in other words angels and even if they don't if he's talking about earthly rulers he does say that Christ created all things in heaven and on earth and all things invisible and visible So that would include the angelic beings. They were created by God, which means they are not equal to God. They are, like all of us, under God's authority. Only God is sovereign. He has no equal, not even amongst the angels. Now, when were they created? Well, let's go over to Job 38. There's just a little hint in Job 38 that answers that question. This is Job 38, verse 7. You have to be careful in Job and ask who is talking because sometimes you get some bad advice depending on who's speaking. Uh, If it's Eliphaz or Bildad or Zophar or Elihu, we're not so quick to listen to what they have to say. Not to say that everything they said was bad, but they said a lot of bad things. But in Job 38, who's speaking here? God, right, so we can uh, trust this. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 6. He's asking Job all these questions to show... Well, he's putting Job in his place with these questions, okay? So he says, on what were its bases sunk? He's talking about the world when it was created. On what was its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? And look at this. "...when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy." The sons of God here is a phrase used uh, particularly in Job to refer to the angels. In Job chapter 1, when Satan appears, the sons of God are before the throne of God. And so here he's talking about the angels being present when the world was created which doesn't tell us a whole lot, but it tells us this, that they were created before we were. They were there to witness the six days of creation. So some point in heaven, God created the angelic world before he created the heavens and the earth. So we have a few few answers there. Now, these angels are a distinct class of creatures. They're not human. They're not animals. They're they're something else. And uh, we can kind of see where they are ranked in Psalm 8. Let's go over to Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, David is fascinated by God's power, his creation, and his place as a human being in the created order. And so he starts saying in verse 3, "...when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place..." What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Now some of you have the word angels there. And I believe that's what he's talking about. So where are we ranked in comparison to the angels? A little lower. A little lower. Higher than the animals, Right? But lower than the angels. Now this doesn't have to do with value. It's, it's more in terms of rank, like military orders. You could think of it that way. Because we see Jesus, we see this verse applied to Jesus in Hebrews chapter two verses nine and 10, which says that when Jesus became a human, when he was born of woman, he was made for a little time, meaning the time while He was on earth, A little lower than the angels. So to be a human being on earth is to be lower in rank than the angelic creatures. And I just bring that up here to show that they are not human, they are not animals, they're not God because they're created. There's something different. They're in a class of their own, and that's important. Uh, Some people think of angels as dead saints, Uh, I, I see this a lot in cartoons. Uh, the cartoons I remember as a kid, you know, usually it was a Wiley wily Coyote or somebody would get killed and he'd go up with wings and a harp and he becomes an angel. And some people have that idea that uh, the angels are ghosts or dead saints or that you become an angel whenever you die. If you've seen It's a Wonderful Life, that's pretty much how angels are depicted in that Christmas movie. Clarence... Used to be a human being on earth like all of us. That was his name, right? Clarence? Any Jimmy Stewart fans in here? <laughs> and uh, then he becomes an angel. That, that's not biblical at all. Angels are a, a different created order. And so I think we've answered that question. Anybody have any comments on this first question? Maybe you want to elaborate it, elaborate on it a little more in some way. They are created. That's where they come from. Let's go to a second question. What do angels look like? Do you have a picture in your mind of what an angel looks like? I bet you do. And you probably didn't get it from the Bible. Angels are depicted in all sorts of ways. And I went through and looked at some of the most famous paintings of angels. And and, uh, I want you to notice what the popular... Views are in these paintings of angels. This is the Annunciation 1415 by Petrus Christus. And uh, it's Gabriel telling Mary that she is with child and is going to give birth to the Son of God. Now, what do you see about this angel? What can we gather from this artist's depiction of an angel? He's got an impressive set of wings, right? And what's interesting about these wings, they're not the feathery, downy wings. They, they're kind of leathery or maybe, maybe they're feathers, but they're, they're not real fluffy. And they, they have some interesting patterns on them. Uh, so most of the angels you see depicted in, in um, paintings have a set of wings. We'll talk about that. This is Jacob wrestling with the angel. Uh, by Rembrandt, very well-known painting. What what are your impressions of the angel in this? Does he look like he's wrestling Jacob, first of all? They look like they're dancing. They're doing the two-step or something. He's almost cradling Jacob in this. Yeah, he looks effeminate, very much so, and not very strong. Jacob looks like he could take him in no time. Uh, He doesn't look like a a kind of character that could keep Jacob busy all night, as Genesis 32 tells us that the angel did. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, This is uh, the Song of the Angel, 1881. And I don't know how to say the artist's name, but um, this is Mary and Jesus depicted here. And what do you see here about the angels? You see wings. We, we've been seeing a lot of wings. He's play, she's playing the fiddle, right? And uh, you'll notice that all the angels are women in this. So maybe when you picture an angel, you usually think of a woman. Um, a lot of times we'll call our little girls angel because we think of them as being feminine. Uh, You've seen this one, right? (laughs) Raphael, two cherubs. I don't know how this one got famous, to be honest. Uh, The lines are off. These kids are not very cute. Uh, The one down low, he he looks like he's just having a bad time. Now, it's very accurate. If you've ever tried to take a picture of a two-year-old, that's exactly what they do when they're supposed to be smiling, right? Uh, So now we've got babies as angels. And you see that a lot at Cracker Barrel, right? Uh, Little pictures of baby angels. Is that in the Bible? Well, let's let's see what the Bible says about the way angels look. Uh, Examine a few things there. Uh, First of all, they are always without exception, masculine. There are always men. Uh, you never read about a female angel. But of course you have this statement by Jesus in Matthew 22 when he's talking to the Sadducees about marriage and the resurrection. And he says that this woman won't belong to any of the men as their wife because uh, they'll be, she'll be like the angels who neither marry nor are given in marriage. And so he seems to suggest there that angels are sexless. They do not have reproductive capabilities, and they're not meant to have those kinds of relationships. Still, they seem to have a gender, or they're always presented as masculine which dispels the idea that uh, angels are feminine in the paintings that we saw, anyway. Uh, right, the, the homosexuals in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, that's right. They were interested in those, those men, those angels that appeared to be men. I want to go to those exact angels, actually, in Genesis 18. What did they look like? Uh, Turn over there, you're probably familiar with the, with the story. Abraham's at his tents, and uh, these three figures walk up. And how are they described at the beginning of Genesis chapter 18? He lifted up his eyes, and what did he see? Three men. Three men. Now, if they had wings, do you think from Abraham's point of view, he would have seen three men? I think it would say he looked up and he gasped because these three figures with giant wings were flapping toward him. But that's not what it says. These three men were walking, and he had no idea at first that they were heavenly beings, visitors from a spiritual realm. Uh, Turn to Daniel chapter 8. There's a lot of interesting angels in the book of Daniel, and these are passages we don't normally look at. But whenever you compare Daniel with the picture of the babies or the women playing the fiddle, you see that uh, the painters were just a little off in how they were depicting angels. Daniel chapter 8, look at verse 17 to begin with. He came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. This is an angel speaking with him. Uh, Go to chapter 10 of Daniel. Just a page over here. And uh, let's read a few verses here. Daniel 10, verse 8. Well, let's, let's back up because we're asking what do they look like. So look at uh, chapter 10, verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. That's a shiny gem. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. I think by that he means the blood drained from his, from his face, from his complexion. He turned white as a sheet. He was so afraid. Uh, let's go down to verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man. See, he wasn't a man, but he appeared to be a man. Touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And said let my lord speak for you have strengthened me what do you get about the appearance of angels from the vision daniel has here what are what are just some things that you were able to pull out of that strength Strength. very powerful presence right what else Scary. scary yeah i think it's okay to say that because Uh, There are other places, the Apostle John in Revelation, he sees an angel in Revelation chapter 19, and do you remember what he does, his immediate reaction? He falls down and worships the angel, he's afraid, and he doesn't want to offend this mighty being, and what does the angel tell him? Stand up, I'm a servant of God like you. We're, we're the same compared with God. We're both under, under God. I'm no God. Mark. That makes me think that they've got some kind of a moral presence about it. hmm Yeah. Um, if they want you to. Because yeah. Because you've got Hebrews 13.2, which we'll talk about, where... Some, speaking of Abraham probably, have entertained angels unawares. Um, But I would imagine what we're seeing in Daniel is probably closer to their actual appearance than what Abraham saw. They probably were masking their appearance there when they looked just like a man. But still, even Daniel says this angel had the appearance of a man. What What else were you able to get from that? Mm-hmm. So, going for their might, their strength, and so forth. As right. Well. That's right. It can and touch it. Yes, can um, Yes. Even though it was a spirit being, which we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, of course, a lot of this we'll never completely understand. Um, but that that's a good point there. Mm-hmm. Abraham runs off and he kills a calf and prepares, you know, a meal, and Lot says, come in real quick out of the city, and he wants to kind of protect them from people of the city. Like, they recognize them as more than just people. There's something special about them, even though they were just men in, in what the text describes them as. Yeah, I don't know. I, with with Abraham and Lot, I felt like they were very just very hospitable guys. But you may be right. I haven't thought about it that way. They, they of course, learn pretty quickly that these are unusual men uh, from the things that they are saying. But I do think they're making an attempt here to hide their identity, at least at first, for, in, in Sodom for the sake of lot. It, of course, to your point, um, the men of Sodom found them interesting enough they they didn't fly under the radar at Sodom. So, we we, we have a lot of questions about these things, but it's interesting to talk about. There's often, there's evidence here that they are they do have the ability of appearing as they want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They all weren't just that because yeah. I know you're gonna go further into this, but mm-hmm. just the description of of the angels in Ezekiel says that their angels are not created uh, as a single thing. Yeah. Well let's let's look at some of that. So we saw some paintings with Wings. All right, now so far we haven't read about any angels with wings, but there are angels in the Bible that have wings. Uh, let's go to Isaiah 6. Now, this is to James's point, this is a particular classification of angels called seraphim. And the seraphim look a little different than. The angels Abraham and Lot encountered. The angel that Daniel encountered. Let's just start reading at the beginning of the chapter. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew and one called to another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory six wings two of them cover the face that expresses reverence two of them cover the feet that symbolizes modesty and with two they flew now in all the paintings that we looked at they all had two wings I haven't seen a whole lot of depictions of angels with six wings like this. But so far, this is the first an- these are the first angels we've encountered with wings, and they have six marks. Well, you know, you get into the semantics of what to call them. They're heavenly. I think we could comfortably say they're all heavenly beings and they're all created. Um, But these creatures appear to be a little different than the men who visited Abraham's tent. Uh, Let's look at another example. You mentioned the cherubim. Let's look at the cherubim. Go to Ezekiel chapter 10. And, and another wrinkle in this is when you're reading Isaiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel, they're they're very upfront about saying these are visions. So there's symbolism involved here as well. And so the problem is you don't know how literal to take that his body was like beryl, and his appearance was shining like gold. You, you don't know how literal to take that. Uh, so let's look at Ezekiel 10. The cherubim are the most fearsome of the heavenly creatures that you read about. Uh, and I can't read all this. Let's look at uh, verse 20. Let's just read the end of it. These were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Kebar Canal, and I knew that they were cherubim. Each had four faces, and each four wings, and underneath their wings the likeness of human hands. And as for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I'd seen by the Kebar Canal. Each one of them went straight forward. Uh, There's a very odd vision that he has In chapter 1, which he's referring to here, in verse 10 of that, he says that each had a human face and a face of a lion and a face of an ox and a face of an eagle. And most commentators believe that each face represents the best of something among God's creatures. Uh, Like the ox, for example, shows power the human shows wisdom or knowledge. And these cherubim have these four faces, four wings. We, we didn't see anything like that in any of the paintings. Have you ever seen a painting of something like that? And if something like that walked up to you on the street, uh, would you want to go hug it? No. You would be terrified, right? You would be um, curious. You would keep your distance Uh, you would have all kinds of reactions, but it wouldn't appear like a little baby that you want to cradle and hug. Uh, This is a fearsome creature. Whenever God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, what did he put at the the garden entrance to guard it and keep anyone from entering? Cherubim. That, what did the flaming sword do? Do you remember? Went in every direction. And that's something that seems consistent about the cherubim. They they see in all directions at once. You can't get anything by them. That's these four faces all the way around. The Ark of the Covenant, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, on each end, what angelic creatures are there? cherubim, right? And they have wings touching each other. What's interesting there is, if I'm reading it right, they both have, each cherubim has a pair of wings, not four. Uh, So, this is why I'm not sure how much is symbolic in Ezekiel, and how much we should take literally. We still have a lot of questions about it. Yeah, Mark. Yes. Yes according to God's specifications. Yes. Which would tend to let you know that they had an idea of what the cherubim looked like. Mhm. Because God gave them what to do and they were there dealing with the worship of God. So they had to have some idea of what the cherubim looked like. And it it's interesting they had wings. So it's not wrong to see depictions of angels with wings. Uh, but we also need to recognize that they're not always appearing with wings. They don't always appear like that. In Revelation, by the way, we don't have time to get into it, but they're flying. You see them flying around. Yeah, Andrew. Yeah. You still have that vision of strength and power for themselves. Yeah, I thought about that too. How heavy that stone was. And the angel was able to roll it away. And yet, when Mary and the others saw the angels, they just looked like men. In fact, it says in John that there were two men sitting in the tomb. Uh, so. That reminds you of Abraham. So there's variety, it seems, among these angelic hosts. Real quick, I'll I'll answer this question, then we'll get to some more questions next week. How many are there? Jim mentioned Matthew 26, 53, where Jesus tells Peter, Do you not know that I can call and summon 12 legions of angels to deliver me? A legion is 6,000 men. So if you're taking this literally, and I think Jesus is just throwing this out, you know, as a demonstration of his power and the support that he could call on. But 12 times 6,000, that's quite a few angels right there. But then you have Revelation 5 verse 11. Let's turn over to Revelation 5:11. John says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Does somebody have something different from myriads in their translation? Numbering? Numbering. After numbering, what do do you have? thousands thousands. Thousands upon thousands. Uh, doesn't the King James say ten thousands? Yeah, that's what I'm looking ten for. Thousand times ten, thousand. ten thousand times 10,000. That's a lot of angels, right? <laughs> and I feel like that's just scratching the surface. I don't think he's given us an exact population of heaven. I think what he's saying is they're innumerable. In fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22, he mentions innumerable angels in festal gathering. So more than you can count. Isn't that fascinating? There are over 7 billion people on planet Earth. Could there be that many angels? Could there be more than that in heaven? I think that's certainly possible. And is isn't fascinating to think about there are as many angels as there are human beings. Maybe as many as have ever lived, and who, will, who are now living, and who will live. We don't know. We just know there are more than we can count. We'll stop right there, and next week we'll answer some more questions about angels. Thanks for your discussion this evening.